Heidi ho neighbors. Young ones are now dismissed to we worship. Thank you for being here this morning, uh, October 31st, 2021. Hope that you had a very enjoyable day yesterday with the nice weather. After four, three to four days of gloom, I just heard it said it was like a little taste of heaven. And it was. It was beautiful. So I hope you were able to enjoy your day yesterday. If you look in your bulletin, we're going to uh, strive to take a peek at the book of Job. And through that, look at a few key verses. So if you would start with me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this overwhelming blessing that you've blessed us with to be able to come into your house. We thank you for this body of believers and how you've knit us together as a family. Help us, Lord, this morning to glorify you. May this time of worship, praying together, and looking into your word bring you glory. And last of all, dear Lord Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and do the work within our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, the book of Job may be familiar to some of you, and maybe someone here has never studied it, read it, heard it, Um, to do just a quick history over the book, it's very interesting, searching the dates and times the book was authored is unaware. Most lead to possibly about the time period of Abraham. The author is unknown. Uh, Some speculation and commentaries believe that maybe the book was authored and then re-authored by Solomon. Um, Job, they believe, was possibly an Israelite. But then as I dug further, some other things say he was not an Israelite because of the way that some of the original Greek, how he referred to God. But then some believe he is. So we don't really know a lot of extreme details about Job. God's word tells us in chapter 1 that he lived in the land of Uz, He was a blameless man. He was a man of integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. That's how the Bible's description of Job starts. We learn that he has seven sons, three daughters. We learn that he's wealthy, that he has 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys. It says he also has several servants, employees, and it states that he's the greatest man in that area. Several versions say the greatest man in the east. His children join together with uh, their brothers and sisters and take turns hosting feasts at their house. Each time the feasts end, Job 
gives special sacrifices to the Lord and prays over his children in case they may have sinned and he's praying over his children for for their forgiveness. And the Bible tells us that he does this constantly. Then in chapter 1, it changes to a different scene and it paints a picture of a conversation between God and Satan. And God says, where have you come from? And Satan says, I've been roaming the earth, back and forth, observing. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless, full of integrity. He fears me, fears God, and he turns away from evil. Satan responds, well, of course he does. You've blessed him richly. He has everything. Take away all his possessions and he will surely curse you. God says, do what you want to the man, just don't harm him. Now listening and reading and studying, I came across a couple people that said, phrased it this way, God was bragging on Job. And then they said, Hopefully God never brags on me. (laughs) For those of you that know the story. So Satan went away from there. And as we read into the chapter more, everything happened at once. And isn't that how calamity happens? A messenger arrived at Job's house and reported, Your oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding in the field next to them. And the Sabaeans raided. They stole all the animals and killed all the servants, and I am the only one who escaped. While that messenger was still speaking, another messenger arrived. The fire of God fell from heaven, burned up all of your sheep and shepherds, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, Another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans have stolen your camels and killed the servants. I was the only one to escape, to tell you. While he was still speaking, another servant came. Said a wind, strong wind hit the house where your children were feasting together, all the four walls caved in. Your children are dead, and I was the only one who escaped to tell you this. This is a huge amount of suffering and heartache that came at once on Job. Job tore his clothes, shaved his head, and fell face down to worship God, saying, I came into this world with nothing. I will leave this world with nothing. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Knowing the church body as we get to know the church body, we learned about suffering going on right now. Each of us has had suffering in the past. There will be most likely suffering in the future. Our suffering comes in different degrees, sometimes big, sometimes very small. This reaction of Job, we learn more about his character than from the beginning. We're told he's blameless, upright, a man of integrity, and that he fears God and turns away from evil. I can only believe this character of his through studying, worshiping God is what enabled him to have this reaction to a devastating life change. The book goes on, and in chapter 2, Job is tested again. And again, there's a meeting, a conversation between God and Satan. God says, Satan, where have you been? I've been roaming the earth, back and forth, watching all this going on. And again, the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job, who has kept his integrity even though you've inflicted him? Satan again is wrong, but he says, well, of course he's okay. He has his health. If you take away a person's health, they lose their hope. Hopelessness comes. They're finished. God responds, okay, do what you want to the man, but do not kill him. Then we learn, as chapter 2 goes on, Job is struck with sores from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. And he uses a broken piece of pottery to scrape his sores. And he's sitting among the ashes of his scrapings. And the Bible describes that he's in constant agonizing pain. Job's wife are you, says to Job, are you still holding on to your integrity? We have lost everything. Financially devastated. We've lost all of our children. We have nothing. And now you are on the path of dying in constant agony. She says to Job, curse God and die. You would be better off. First time I read this, I thought, oh, wow. This, she's coming out of left field, but she was there. She's experiencing all of this. She's seen the seriousness of this situation, this suffering, this heartache. She's heartaching. She is part of it. And she's now watching her husband in this position. She wants his suffering to be done. Job's response. 
in chapter 2. Should we receive only good things from God and never anything bad? This passage hits me because I am so joyful and thankful when I receive good things from God. And sometimes I don't acknowledge and realize that our struggles and our trials, they are also from God. From reading commentaries, Job's suffering and testing, we know it wasn't because of a sinful, habitual sinful life. It was because he had a virtuous life that he was able to endure these. Should we accept only good from God and never anything bad? Is Job's response. So as the chapter moves on, Job's friends hear about this suffering, and we are introduced to three of his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They travel from far away, and they see Job at a distance. And, they, and we're told they hardly recognize him. When they get closer, they tear their clothes in mourning for their friend Job. They throw dust in their air to, to sympathize and sorrow. And then we're told they sit with Job for seven days in silence. In my mind, these are some great friends. To console somebody going through suffering by just being there with them. And the Bible tells us they sit with them for seven days in silence. To console Job's suffering. It's, it describes that his suffering was too great for words. Chapter 3. The book really takes off. Job and his friends begin to visit. Job and his three friends visit for 28 chapters. And if you're familiar with this book, they're discussing constantly theories of Job, why this is happening, the suffering happening, uh, lots of theories of innocent, not being punished, And we constantly, somehow naturally think something bad happens, it's a punishment to sin. Not so much so, and we learn that in the New Testament. The disciples ask Jesus, why is this man this way? Did he sin or his parents? And his response, neither. He's this way to glorify God. The chapters go on, and they're hard to read. And if you've been enjoying the McShane reading program, it's the perfect way to read Job, one chapter a day. If you read uh, chapter 3 to 31 in one sitting, it's hard to stay awake. These theories go on, and then by chapter 32, a, a younger friend is introduced by the name of Elihu, And Elihu joins in the conversation, okay? He's been patiently listening and hearing 
Job and his friends discuss back and forth what's happening, why it's happening. By this point, Job is very intensely wanting to know why. The Lord responds. Chapter 38, verse 1. I'll share by reading in the ESV version, and we have it on the board as well. The Lord answers Job. Then the Lord answered out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens the counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut the sea with its doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? If it is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment, from the wicked their light is within, withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory? and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know for where you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? Or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain? And a way for the thunderbolt? To bring rain on a land where no man is on the desert, in which there is no man. To satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. As I read those 27 verses, I pray that you are hearing the overwhelming awe of our Creator. Chapter 38, 
Through 42, the Lord responds to Job. He describes other amazing, awesome creations in those passages. If your young children are into animals, his description of his amazing animals are extremely detailedly described and enjoyable to read. Job responds. Chapter 42, starting in verse 1. Then Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Have you been in this position? Have you spoke assumingly, thinking you know what the answer to someone else's problem could be? Or your own problem? Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Earlier in the chapter, Job also says that he puts his hand over his mouth. To continue on with the book, in conclusion, Job, God tells Job, Gives an gives a order for his friends to sacrifice bulls and rams, seven bulls, seven rams. And he asked Job to pray for his friends. As soon as Job prays for his friends, and it, it would be so interesting to know the time period of when Job's suffering started up to this point. But when Job prays for his friends, the Lord steps in and restores Job's He blesses Job's life richly. And if you know the story, you remember he had seven more sons and three more daughters. He ended up living long enough to see four generations of his grow, be born. God blessed him financially again as well and doubled his wealth. And now he is the owner, the Bible tells us, of 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 team of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. Bible says that he died living a good life. Sufferings. We, like I said earlier, have all had them, been through them. Possibly more to come. A very good friend of mine once said, and I've quoted this twice now, be very thankful for what you have right now because tomorrow we don't know. And I appreciate that. Um, My big take home, well, before going there, I strongly feel, and I know some of you feel this way as well, I wonder 
if from this point on, Job was able to console and help others in their sufferings, clearly see God and be close to God and to draw on God. Our response from our sufferings before, during, after is where we can glorify God. And God can use us as our virtue that we've made it through those sufferings. My take home from the overall book and sharing it this morning, and this came through reading and studying and pulling different information together. Job ended up learning that it was more valuable, it was better for him to know God than to know the answers why. I pray the next time suffering hits that I focus more on knowing God and talking to God than getting agitated and questioning why, why. Because that's my reaction. I, my reaction is not to tear my clothes, shave my head, and lay down to worship God. And by the way, that passage in your different versions read, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave the world. And I shared it a little differently. When we, we went through this in Sunday school last year, and I'd forgotten from the previous time of teaching Job, when you shared naked you came into the world, naked you leave, it just brings out a lot of laughter. So he had to reword it. I came into this world with nothing. I left the world with nothing. Such a true realization that we easily look over and be distracted. I'd like to share two quotes from you. Um, one, I have the person to give credit to, Dr. David Jeremiah. Thursday's radio program, he shared this. The other quote I searched and searched, and I couldn't find who stated it. But Dr. David Jeremiah said, only the Christian life is the life where surrender brings a victory. The quote I don't know who said, said, I am most satisfied in life when God is my satisfaction. We all are going to be in times of loss, satisfaction, discontentment with maybe an event that has taken place out of our control. And we are placed in a life circumstance that is hard, suffering, overwhelming. Job knew his only satisfaction in life is to have satisfaction in God. If you've been here this morning and you've been hearing the prayers and the songs in the book of Job and you're wondering what it's like to have a relationship with God, I urge you to accept Christ, God's solemn gift to us for our salvation. And we join in a relationship with God and we draw off of God. 
He indwells in us. He places our seal on us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He loves us. He knows us intimately. He knows every part of who we are and how we are made. He loves us more than anyone else can love us. He knows us like no one else knows us, as the song we heard this morning. He sees the person we are. He knows and loves us. If you have not started this relationship, you'll have a chance this morning in our invitation, but I also urge you to make the chance to speak with someone here, to speak with Daniel, our pastors, Daniel and Wood, to find out this plan of salvation that God has for you, how to enter into this relationship, how to be a part of the family of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing and these things, we will be content. Godliness, a relationship with God, a communication with God, along with contentment, is great gain. Being in a worldly culture, the word gain is always synonymous with money, wealth, gaining, property, assets, possessions. But this verse is telling us if you have a relationship with God and you find contentment, the equal sign is great gain. Something more valuable than anything else. Thank you for listening this morning. If you would, pray together with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book in your Bible. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement it has to offer us. We ask, Lord, this morning that your Holy Spirit would have made impacts on hearts that would be encouraged to look to you more, to read your word more, to draw more off of you and your strength, to be connected more to your Holy Spirit. That is the glorious life that you've laid out before us that is so much more valuable than any possession here on earth. We ask these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.